Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. And hello, Otto. Yeah. Yeah, baby's here. He's, uh, you might hear some grunting and sniffling and snorting. He looks very snugly in his sling yeah. next to you. Well, on you. <laughs> he's, he is asleep. I think he's going to wake up imminently. So. <laughs> Just we'll see how we, this goes. Think, yeah, no, <laughs> Just as we start recording. Nice to hear little baby snuffles. So yeah, yeah. Bless him. Uh, hopefully, it's a while before he's thrown into the world of true crime. Yes. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, I was uh, telling Toby that I'd been watching a program yesterday, like all day, and he was like, "Oh, what was it about?" And I was like, "How do I explain this?" So I started watching this drama, the dramatization of the staircase. Oh yeah, of which. If you don't know, listeners, it's the story of Michael Peterson, an author in America, whose wife was found dead at the bottom of some stairs, um, and he went on trial for her murder, and they've made a dramatisation of it. The Netflix documentary is excellent, as is the dramatisation. So I was like, how much detail do I go into explaining <laughs> about this, what I spent my day watching today? So, yeah. <laughs> so, He'll be on Goosebumps in no time. Yeah, Goosebumps. Okay, yeah, well, that's that's fine. But I believe you may have some true crime news to share this week. Yes. I can't remember when I saw it. It might have been last week when I saw it, but we didn't get a chance to mention it. But um, as listeners will know, I'm a very keen follower of the Laurie Vallow Daybell, Chad Daybell trial yep. and case. And we knew that Chad Daybell was going to be tried against the death penalty so that if he was found guilty that he the prosecutor had seeked the death penalty mm-hmm. for him um, and we found out last week that they are seeking the death penalty for Laurie Vallow as well who has now been declared as fit to stand trial because she was mentally unfit for a while they said but now they said she's fit to stand trial and they are pursuing the death penalty for her so nice. yeah things are hotting up there and I think that her trial is scheduled for October his oh, okay. is next January. So. Wow! Oh gosh, they're going to try her. Um, just, just yeah. remind me what 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 deaths are they accused of being involved? So they are accused of being involved in the deaths of her children. So yeah. her biological daughter, Tylee, I think, and her adopted son, JJ. They're also linked to the death of his wife who mm-hmm. they said it was natural causes and they've exhumed her and did another autopsy and said that she was murdered and um i think linked to her first second husband wow. as well so yeah um it's quite complicated was who was my brother as well what did and you... her brother died but i think that was a well they said that was natural causes but i mm. think they think that her brother was quite heavily involved in the murder of the children oh right um so yeah there's a great podcast called mommy doomsday which um explains the whole thing excellently if anyone wants to listen to that okay cool well i have a story for you tonight uh this week we're going to hungary nice nice i'm not not sure if we've been there before in our tour around europe for true crime but um we we have have been there in real life we have yes (laughs) 
Very, very hot weekend. Yeah, oh my God. Budapest in July. Dad and daughter trip to Budapest. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievably hot, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. And no respite, really, there. No. It's, interesting, though. Yeah. Interesting sitting. As with your Danish case last week, please forgive me if I butcher the pronunciations <laughs> of some of the names in this story, of which, actually, I'll keep them to a minimum. There aren't there aren't too many. But okay. this is the story of the Angel Makers of Nargreev. Okay. It's a fairly well-documented story once you start looking for it. But unless okay. you've heard of it, you, you wouldn't necessarily come across it. Um, I've not heard of it. Yeah, so there are accounts of it all over the place on Wikipedia, Murderpedia, lots of other websites. There are podcasts and YouTube videos and things all about it. But one of the more comprehensive accounts I found was from sci-fi.com. Okay. (laughs) Why sci-fi? I don't really know. But uh, yeah, so the majority of the story that I'll tell you tonight is the account as per sci-fi because there are variations but and also I've tried to add in bits from other sources as I've gone through as well. Cool. In central Hungary around 80 miles southeast of Budapest there is a very small village called Nargrief and back at the turn of the century it had a population of about 800 people. Not very big. Not very many people. I would imagine it was quite a rural, agricultural sort of community. Probably not much else going on there. Mm -hmm. And like many small villages in Hungary during the early 1900s, it was a tightly, tightly bound community, but it didn't have many amenities. It didn't have a doctor, for example. So if people became sick... Uh, or need of medical advice. There weren't really that many options for them, others to go to the nearest big city or town or uh, just rely on homemade remedies for, for various ailments. Okay. So this all changed in around 1911 when a woman named Susanna Fazikas came to live in the small town. Susanna Fazikas had a bit of a murky background. She was middle-aged, She had been married because she had a different maiden name, but her husband had gone missing was how it was described. She wasn't declaring herself as a widow, just that he was nowhere around. Interesting. Uh, And nobody knew really where he had come from or where he'd gone to. But she did come with some references for previous experience as a midwife. So here was someone who had got medical training actually coming to the village, so she became very popular. Interesting. Now, she was also known as Julia. Well, we'd say Julia. Fazikash. I expect it's Julia or something like that in Hungarian. uh, And Julia was apparently in homage to her missing husband, who was called Goyla. Okay. So sometimes she's referred to as Susanna, sometimes as Julia. Okay. A bit bit more confusing. For many thousands of years, midwifery retained a level of power and respect in local communities. 
Hence, Susanna became very respected, but they were not typically very well recognised. Yeah, or, <laughs> or, or awarded or whatever. They were just thought, oh, yeah, she's a woman doing woman things sort of thing. Yeah. Um, in ancient Egypt, for example, Jeffrey. He's <laughs> yeah. having a good grunt there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> in ancient Egypt, for example, midwifery was a widely recognised occupation for women, <laughs> while during Roman times it was a prize job for many enslaved or servile women, some of whom were actually trained as midwives as a <laughs> means to earn their freedom. But as time went on, midwifery became associated with witchcraft. Yeah. And many of the women accused of being witches by the church were midwives with medical knowledge and experience with natural remedies. Because men didn't like the, all these women gaggling together. That's right, and, yeah. um, you know, being in this house, all these women saying whatever they might say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they started calling them witches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So eventually regulations became more and more restrictive and as a result, men began to push the women out of the whole field of like childbirth. Yep. And, and birthing became a job for the doctors, for the men, not the midwives. This is something I feel very passionate about. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> and, after recent experience. <laughs> yeah, and definitely in the run up to um, Otto's birth, I did a lot of reading around kind of how midwifery and birth and how birth has been looked at and how much it's changed over the years and how um you know it's so medicalized now and it's so such a man's thing whereas you know they 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 just don't let women get on with it anymore (laughs) it's very much kind of medicalized and often for not really a very good reasons and yeah midwives are seen as kind of secondary to doctors and the you know doctors did a better when they kind of started making especially in this country when they started making women give birth in hospitals rather than at home the death rates went through the roof because of infections you know they they, they weren't saving lives so yeah I think it's very interesting how yeah birth and midwifery has been kind of yeah because mid midwife literally means with the woman yeah so it means it's somebody who's yeah yeah it's somebody who is there to be with the woman to help the woman through it and and that's probably something that's been happening for millennia yeah forever <laughs> hippocrates and you know his, yeah. his oath and all the rest of it and doctors there's always been a companion yeah. with women giving yeah. birth and often and women who um yeah could do things with herbs and yeah. you know remedies often natural remedies because of you know yeah. medicine didn't exist to help women deal with the pain and the pain relief and healing and things like that afterwards yeah. So yeah, that's it's always been around. Yeah, and, and that's where women. the witchcraft comes from, isn't it? Yeah. With the, the herbal remedies and the potions and yeah. lotions and things that they would come up yeah. with, which which the patriarchy don't like. <laughs> so midwives were not thought of greatly, I suppose, in some circles, but in small communities where there was no other alternative, like in Nagreve, she mm. was welcomed with open arms. Such women were also known as practitioner of abortions. Yeah. Midwives are also agony aunts of sorts. They were people who seemed to know a lot about how the body works and medical matters that other women would turn to when they got Mm. nowhere else or where they were feeling really desperate or sad or um, in pain or, or... 
So Susanna became, yeah, as as we've said, a, a woman to help the women of Nagriv. Mm-hmm. Hungary in the 1910s was a place of political upheaval. I mean, didn't it change its borders countless times around that time? It was all sorts yeah, of very so. dynamic. There were, there's a lot of... There was that whole Austro-Hungary. Yeah. It, was, it was Austro-Hungary for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. There were a lot of pacts and things going on. And, yeah. Um, it, it was a, a place in a lot of turmoil. Yeah. As a result, there was crushing poverty and very few options for women to make headway in life. And then 1914, along came the First World War, which hit the country really badly because it was kind of in the middle of it all, wasn't it? With, yeah. as you say, the uh, men of the Austro Hungarian Empire drafted in to the war. Mm. So yeah, all that all that was going on in that area of Europe in well yeah the, the early nineteen tens yeah early mid nineteen tens, and as a result, about nine million men from the Austro-Hungarian Empire were drafted into the war. Uh, a lot of men. There were a lot of men. I don't honestly know what the population of Hungary was at the time, but it's difficult to know what actually Hungary yeah was at the time. Yeah. But still, it's a lot of men, and of course, a lot of them didn't come back. No. Now, also at the time, most marriages in Hungary were actually arranged, with sometimes girls as young as 14 being paired off with much older men. Wow. And they were chosen for them by their families. Now, I mean, that still happens today, doesn't it, in some cultures, and sometimes it's very successful. And in maybe parts of will... America, they still do. <laughs> I was... I was I was thinking more further east, really, to sort of well, Asian yeah, countries and things. But yeah, maybe in America as well. Um, some would have been successful, but others not so much. These women, these young girls, could have been married to quite abusive men who um, were drunk, were violent, who did not do anything to make the women's lives particularly pleasant. And being a very Catholic area of the world, divorce was not an option. So quite a lot of the time, women were just trapped in abusive marriages with no hope of escape. But then, as the World War I started, many of the men that were causing all this misery were sent off to fight in the war. Yeah, didn't come back. Well, free some women. Of them, some of them didn't come back, yeah, so free women. and um, And others did, though. But when they did go off... These women were left behind with young families quite often with very little money to support them. They didn't have much at all, but they were free of their abusive and bullying menfolk. Yeah. However, Nargreve was actually used as a holding camp for Allied prisoners of war. Okay. So there was an influx of different men that came into the town okay <laughs> and quite a lot of these men they weren't just locked up in prisons or whatever they were they were held in the area but they, some of them were sent to work on the farms because there were no men to work on the none of the locals yeah. were there anymore um and they became part of village life okay. to the point where some of these lonely women and some oh. of these imprisoned or lonely men impri- lonely men <laughs> <laughs> sort of hooked up should we say and um okay. <laughs> and 
some of them started relationships. Okay. It's reported that some of these women took up to three or four lovers at a time. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, this period of sexual liberation by these women caused a number of unwanted pregnancies. Yeah. Which yeah, Susanna, but she was very busy as, so a, Susanna, as the only midwife. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So Susanna would offer her services for a fee to help out these women. And in actual fact, uh, it, it didn't stop with the end of World War One. With, with the end of the Great War, but uh, between 1911 and 1921, she was arrested 10 times wow. for performing illegal abortions. Every time she was arrested, the judges were always sympathetic to the whole situation because they knew that these women that she was helping out were unable okay. to sort of you know, continue with the pregnancies or have any more children, whatever. So she was uh, always released. End of World War One, 1918, came about, and some of Nagri's men came home. They themselves were deeply changed by their experiences. But I bet, yeah. Today we call it PTSD. I suppose in those days it was referred to as shell shock. Shell shock. Um, yeah. So there was, they had a lot of mental issues to deal with, and of course a great many physical issues. Yeah. That they came back with as well. So they evolved from being the providers when they were last in Nargreve to the family to being dependents on the women mm-hmm. who, in, in the interim, had become quite socially and financially independent. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they'd come to enjoy that rather than being bullied and the rest of it. I they had, yeah. So these women were now feeling overburdened by their husbands and as Susanna had become their sort of confidant and able to help out with many things, they turned to her for some sort of advice. Oh, what can we do? These men have come back. We were having a great time with our prisoner of war lovers and, and earning <laughs> some money on our own. Yeah. <laughs> and then these men have come back. What can we do? She offered them a remedy. And it is quoted, again, in many places that she said, if there is a problem with him, I have a simple solution. Okay. And her solution was arsenic. Okay. Plain yeah, and pretty, simple. Pretty, <laughs> pretty great solution. And the way that she came about this arsenic was by boiling fly papers. Oh, wow. Okay. And skimming off the poisonous residue from the top. So, no way. I, I no idea if, if you buy fly papers these days <laughs> they're impregnated with arsenic i doubt it <laughs> i wouldn't have thought so oh my just it's like sticky strips that you get now yeah they are i mean i presume they were then as well but this fly stick to it and the arsenic killed them i, I don't know well i mean i'm assuming yeah. that you can't get hold of arsenic that easily but I don't to be honest so. i've never tried so. <laughs> no. but that's how they did it they boiled fly paper well, that's how she did it she boiled fly paper skimmed off the residue and there you go you've got some arsenic wow to be fair to arsenic it for centuries it's been used medicinally and and cosmetically i was just thinking that i was like does arsenic have a purpose other than killing people yeah oh yeah um i feel like we've definitely had this conversation yeah talking about arsenic has, at some point in the past i think it has got some medical uses in very moderate quantities right 
but it was used for makeup, I think, wasn't it? Oh, it was used it, to um, it was used as a cure or a relief of syphilis. Ah, uh, okay. And it wasn't it in like the pow- like white powder? Because yeah, um, yeah, skin whitening. Elizabeth, yeah, yeah. Put Elizabeth it on the Yeah, she was caked in um, <laughs> arsenic, basically, wasn't yeah. she? And even during the Victorian era, uh, it was available for covering up skin and facial blemishes and things like that. White glazes. Until recently, it was using optical glass. Um, yeah. I saw it somewhere as a pesticide used in bronzing and pyrotechnics. Yeah. So it does have its uses. I suppose yeah. it's like anything else, isn't it? I mean, mercury is very useful, but if you ingest yeah. it, it won't do you much <clears> good. Um, I was thinking about that the other day and I read something I was reading about mercury thermometers or mercury in general and it reminded me of the time when I was at school and I broke a mercury thermometer and that's like evacuate the lab right yeah I thought it was quite contained because it goes into those little balls isn't it and yeah but can't you like inhale it oh maybe I think. so they've got everyone else they could like clear up this mercury that I'd spilled oh okay well it can't be very much in a thermometer a tiny amount but Mercury and other metals have their uses, but they're also very poisonous. And arsenic was one of the most common methods of murder for thousands of years. We've definitely covered a few cases. Oh, we we have, yeah. And it's also a preservative, isn't it? People that are killed with arsenic poisoning tend to be really well preserved. Yeah. But arsenic can occur organically. Um, It can be in water like out of springs and out of wells and things like that because it's it's a naturally occurring substance so i think that's why because it is sort of prevalent in the environment anyway before forensic chemistry and toxicology and all the rest of it i suppose it was seen as quite an easy way of killing people yeah and in fact yeah and and the symptoms that that are caused by arsenic poisoning are similar to cholera Yes. Um, so they could easily put down arsenic poisoning to, oh, they had cholera and died. Convenient, yeah. Convenient, <laughs> but, you know, with the dawn of, as I say, <laughs> forensic yeah. science, I'm afraid that's no longer an option. No, and you don't really get a huge amount of cholera anymore, do you? You don't anymore, but back in the, uh, well, 1920s for the women yeah. of Nargreev. Um, a, a region with hardly any infrastructure and no sort of mains water or anything, arsenic poisoning seemed to be the perfect mm. Mm, weapon of choice, shall yeah. we say. The answer to their problems. <laughs> the answer to their problems, and that is exactly what happened. For a fee, Susanna Fazikash began secretly providing these women with the poison to kill their husbands. Oh. And she promised them that the arsenic solutions that she was selling them, even though she's only skimmed them off boiled flypapers, would be untraceable in the body, which I suppose back in those days it it may well have been. Now, she also had um, a confidant, a close friend, a woman called Susie Ola. And she acted as a sort of a clerk, if you like, a sort of a a secretary to this little business that she started, filling in the death certificates for these men. And and she would put things on these death certificates to sort of come up with a convincing reason for why they died. So, I don't know, could have been 
something to do with their injuries from the war or you know, something like cholera or influenza or something. Okay. Convenient. Yeah, convenient, yeah. So so there were the two of them, really. There was Fazikash and there was Susie Ola working this scheme. Word spread fast amongst the community of, of women who were fed up with these men having come back from the war. And soon the bodies started piling up. Oh, wow. <laughs> but husbands weren't the only ones to suffer. Um, once they got into the swing of this, they realised that they could perhaps get rid of other people that uh, were making their lives unpleasant or less pleasant than they could be. Other dependent family members, including aged parents that they no longer wanted to look after. And in some cases... Yeah, fair. Sadly, even children. And Susanna Fazikas allegedly told one woman, why put up with them? Susanna Fazikas lived in the region for about 18 years. In that time, they estimated there were about 50 murders which were attributed to these. But it's actually thought that although those are the numbers that they kind of managed to prove were killed by arsenic poisoning, and we'll come to that in a minute, it's thought that perhaps the figure was nearer 300 wow, okay, that were got rid of. So, um, yeah, Jeez. these women were happily murdering people that they just wanted to get out of the way. No wonder those men wanted to stop women from gathering together. Because look well, what happens yeah, when they do. It didn't do them any favours, <laughs> really, did it? No. <laughs> uh, but hence, that's why they were called the angel makers, because they were sending all these angels, all these souls wow. to heaven. God, these poor men who like, came back from war and everything they went yeah. through and then murdered by their wives when they got back home. Yeah. Jeez. The whole scheme unravelled. As, as inevitably it would do yeah but it's not exactly clear how it did unravel um there's, there's uh one account which is that a medical student in a neighboring town found high levels of arsenic in a body that was found floating in a river okay which that in turn led to an investigation um Another theory is that murders were made public when an anonymous letter to a local newspaper accused women of mass murder. So maybe, I mean, okay. it can't have been much of a secret after all because these, these women were all talking to each other. Something yeah. is bound to, um, bound to slip. This had gone on for quite a while. So bearing in mind the men would have come back sort of 1918-ish. It wasn't until 1929, so... Yeah, okay. good 10 years after the end of the war, that the authorities actually started to take some action and they did start to exhume bodies of oh, men wow, okay. that were suspected of uh, uh, having been killed in this way. And they did discover that pretty much all of them, I think they dug up about 40, pretty much all of them okay. were found to have high levels of arsenic in their systems <laughs> in one account that i read uh, it actually said yeah. that the bottles that contained yeah. that arsenic solution were actually buried in the coffins with the men oh my god uh, by way of trying to dispose of the evidence i suppose <laughs> thinking that no one was going to no one's going to dig them up yeah <laughs> 
whether oh, wow, or not, okay. you know, whether that's just legend or you know rumor or however that's come about, I don't know. But it's quite a nice idea, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Maybe yeah, it did happen in one or two or... cases. Yeah. Wow. So the police became suspicious of what had been going on as a result of all these uh, bodies having been found with arsenic, and they were kind of aware of who it was that was the ringleader, if you like, of this, who was selling okay. this arsenic to the women. So the witch. They, the witch, the witch <laughs> of the village. Yeah. The witch so, of the village. <laughs> so they did actually start kind of like tailing her. Oh, okay. Um, and following her around the village. And, um, yeah, she would go from house to house collecting money and delivering little bottles of things to oh, people. Wow. And so they did actually sort of carry out a bit of surveillance on her before uh, making their move. The story goes that by the time they came to arrest her, though, she had actually killed herself by, oh, no. well, by they were saying by taking her own poison. But I thought arsenic poison took a while. I, I don't know if you can just. It's not a very nice way to go, is it? No, I, I, I thought arsenic poisoning was something that built up, but well, or whether or not you can take one enormous dose and kill yourself there and then, or, or whether it's something that sort of builds up over time. I'm not can entirely it be both, sure. I think. Maybe because I'm sure we've had we've definitely had um, cases with the um, mouse butter. Oh yeah, when she was giving them like someone came for dinner and because uh, guess she got freed when she was just giving them the mouse butter, which is yeah. butter with rat poison in it, which is the arsenic. Arsenic, yeah. Um, and they were dying like pretty much straight away. But then there was okay. other cases when her family had been ill, and. Then that turned out to be arsenic poisoning, but she kind of like built it up in them over a time. So right. maybe it could be a bit of both. Bit of both. Apparently, though, Susanna Fazikas had actually killed herself by the time the police came to bring her to trial. Mm-mm. Now, 26 women were eventually arrested and stood trial, oh, wow. in- including Susie Ola. Mm-hmm. But the story also goes that Susie Ola. Who was like the clerk that was filling in the death certificates and yeah. actually hanged herself in prison. Oh no. So they were no longer on the scene. But yeah, 26 of the women that actually murdered their husbands, I suppose, stood yeah. trial. Some of the women just claimed that they were sick of their abusive spouses. Others wanted to get their hands on land and property from their families. Yeah. There was all sorts of reasons why they found that killing people would be attractive to them. Uh, and some of them just wanted to keep their prisoner of war lovers from the wartime period as well. So, oh also no, husband's come back. Let's uh, get rid of him. So, yeah, there were mixed motives, quite how candid they were about those i don't yeah. know in the court but it, it was remarked upon at the time how unrepentant these women mm. seemed to be I and mean, maybe from That's the culture that they'd come from where they'd been so abused for generations really that they just felt yeah. that it was a, a liberation for them i don't know but anyway eventually only eight of them were sentenced to death as a as a penalty for wow, what they okay. did, of which only two were eventually executed, and twelve others okay. received prison sentences. Right. Some of them were reported as being man-hating harpies, while other people claimed that they were 
justified in their actions. I don't think you can ever justify killing your husband. Not murder, no. No. So I think, as you can probably tell from that story, it's a little bit of a legend perhaps going on there, and quite how much of it is factually true or not, I don't know. Mm. But as I say, there are an awful lot of accounts of the story. And we know of Angel Makers. We've covered other cases where yeah. people have just, you know, like main nurses and things, haven't they, where yeah. they've, they've killed patients and things just for the yeah. uh, thrill the of thrill. killing in those cases. In these cases, I think they did have motive. And it's it's possible that these women weren't actually alone in the, in their murders. There was another town nearby called Tiskurt, where other bodies that were exhumed are also found to contain arsenic. But in that case, yeah, interesting. or in those cases, no one was ever convicted of their deaths. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1950s, a historian that looked at these cases, Frank Yogiev, met an old villager who claimed that basically in those sort of little rural villages women had been murdering their men folks since time immemorial <laughs> well maybe they had yeah maybe that now there was a young girl at the time called maria gunya who in 2004 uh did an interview with the bbc So she must have been a very old lady by the time she did that. But she said, with a twinkle in her eye, shall we say, that after the poisonings, the men's behaviour towards their wives improved markedly. (laughs) I bet it did, (laughs) thinking how easy it was for them to be bumped off. Yeah, so um, so that that basically is the story of the angel makers of Nagrif. If you've never heard that story before, then there you go. You know about it now. Look it up. Nargreve is spelled N-A-G-Y-R-E-V. Yeah, there's a book actually called The Angel Makers. It's a novel from 2007 by Jessica Gregson, which is based on the allegedly true story of The Angel Makers of Nargreve. There are documentaries. I think there's even a Netflix uh, film or program about about them as well. If you if you put it into your search engine, you'll come up with tons of stuff. But again, it's one of those things that if you haven't heard of before, you wouldn't necessarily have uh, just right. stumbled upon it. That was really interesting. So Thank there you. you. Go. There are quite a few pictures. I think there's actually pictures of Susanna Fazikash as well. I will be able to put a few of those onto our social media pages brilliant thank you she looks a little bit terrifying yeah she looks pretty stern if she's the <laughs> right woman that i'm looking at I, well i think so yeah wow i mean there are all sorts of accounts that i've read in one of them it says that the women they sort of had a, a pact about it and there was like a rule okay. that they were only going to kill their men folk but then right. it started to spread to parents and other people that might have stopped them inheriting and things like that so um and then the sort of the core of it the core group of women started to say well these women are breaking our original rules so there was a little Mm. bit of um disquiet there amongst Mm. them i know you said that there was any kind of 40 that they only that i know you said there was 40 that that were kind of they assumed and proved 
but that they thought it was 300. If only 800 people lived in that town, that's nearly yeah, half of the town that got killed. <laughs> yeah, some of the numbers don't quite add up, do they? It's, uh, but if they were, it's not just, if, if it's spread to be not just the husbands, but yeah, parents, in some people, cases, yeah. children. Yeah, say like brothers and sisters, because you yeah. know, if, oh, if I get rid of... If I get rid of this sibling, I'll inherit everything. And, yeah. yeah. That sort of thing. It all became very easy to get rid yeah. of people because of what uh, Susanna Fazikash was able to wow. sell them. But like we said, and... there's no way you'd get away with it today. No. But also potentially something that she'd already done herself to her. Possibly. <laughs> First husband. Yeah. yeah. So she was yeah. coming for a place of experience. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So don't get any ideas, folks. No. Yeah. People would You're find out these days. these days. No, you wouldn't. No. <laughs> say, where no. do you get asking from? Where do you get asking from? So did you say that this? So, so you'll share some photos. Yes, I will. There's quite a few. Um, I will put cool. them on our social pages. I'll put them Fab. on Instagram. At Dad and Daughter Do Death. I'll put them on Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. If you'd like to talk to us about this story or any others that we've covered or provide us with some suggestions for future stories to cover, you can email us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, leave us a review, drop us some stars on your podcast provider be good to hear from you definitely and tell your friends tell your friends so join us next time we're once again dad and daughter do death